Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Naked and Inside Out. It's Janine Toro here. We're an LGBT podcast highlighting people in the community doing some incredible things with their lives and careers, and we're here to share these stories with our listeners. Today, I'm excited to have on Tracy Kavlin of Google. I came across Tracy, actually, I was recommended you through a friend, and I'd reached out to a bunch of Googlers saying I was going to be in California. And I wanted to kind of just talk about the dynamic of what it's like to be a gaggler at Google. And then what was funny is when I was at Lesbians Who Tech, we had a mutual acquaintance that was like, oh my God, I know the perfect person for your podcast. So I'm really excited to have you on, Tracy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Janine. Happy to be here. Would you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So as Janine mentioned, my name is Tracy Kaplan. I've been at Google for about four years and I live in San Francisco But before I moved to the wonderful, liberal city of San Francisco, I spent my entire life in Texas. So I came from a place where I was never really surrounded with any like-minded individuals. I was the only LGBT person I knew for at least 21 years. And when I came to Google, moved to SF, I was really excited to work for a company that had a... LGBT employee resource group. I was excited to meet like-minded individuals and I got really involved in our diversity and inclusion initiatives. So that's a little bit about, about my background within the community. So it's interesting that you say that because I kind of have a similar story where I didn't come out till like two years ago, like fully to the world essentially, and especially at work. Right. And I never had that kind of like-minded community So what did that feel like when you kind of got into San Francisco and found those people? It was incredible, but also terrifying because, well, so I lived in El Paso and Austin for the first 21 years of my life. And then I moved to Dallas. And when I was in Dallas, I did, there was these things called chick happy hours, which was for gay women. And so you'd go to a bar and there'd be quite a lot of gay women. It's not like they didn't exist. But I remember just being terrified in yep. those settings and standing in the corner by myself. And I, I also remember when this one woman approached me, I literally heel turned and ran away from her. So I had a little bit of the same experience when I moved to SF when I first went to a lesbian to tech happy hour, which is a room full of queer women. And I was just terrified because I, I was new to town. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know how to approach people. I'm not, I'm, I've never really been comfortable in the bar setting. I'm more comfortable outside playing sports and, and doing natural things uh, where you naturally organically meet people. So it was great to have a community, but it took me some time to feel comfortable with them until I found some friends and people I felt comfortable with. Yeah, it's funny you say that, actually, because I was actually having this conversation earlier this week about how it's weird being, I guess, a lesbian and going to lesbian bars. There's this thing where it's like, yeah, you have a sense of community and people like you, but it's also very intimidating. And it's also very intimidating when there's like very intelligent lesbian women around you. You know what I mean? So... When you're not used to it, when it's something that like you didn't kind of like have for me, I didn't have it when I was originally coming out and I wasn't around those groups of people. So I think it's just kind of an interesting experience how it all manifests. Yeah. And it's especially interesting in SF because 
I feel that the lesbian scene here is very clicky. And I also understand that cliques are sort of a part of human nature where people form their groups. They feel comfortable in those groups and they stay in those groups and they almost regard outsiders or, or strangers as a scary newcomer, not like a welcome, friendly new face, but some, someone who could mess with their group dynamic. But that's very much true in the San Francisco lesbian scene. So walking into a room full of lesbians and they're all like in a tight circle amongst themselves yes. and I'm just alone, it's... It's very intimidating, and that's why it was intimidating at first. But once I became friends with some of these people through other means, through you know meeting them through gigglers and daily life and other events, and not really a bar setting, but other types of things, then the bar setting became a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, see, it's interesting you say that too, because for me, that's recently the same kind of thing. Because in New York, everyone's like, I don't understand like how you don't have like girls that are in the LGBT community as your friends or like, you know, close friends. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, it's, they're more of acquaintances, if anything, or it's like, kind of like they're coupled up or, you know, they're, we don't have like these like-minded interests. Right. But what I found is like going to like lesbians who tech or going to these kind of like meetups, I'm meeting people that are more like-minded to me that happen to also be going to the bar. So it's kind of like, I'm creating my own little community here. And it's, it's been great because it's something that I've been missing. Yeah, absolutely. And I was missing that for most of my life. For 80% of my life, I was missing that. So it's really it's just so important to have a community of people. I just personally would rather have that community outside of a bar setting. And unfortunately, that's where most LGBT events occur. So that's tough for me personally since I'm, I, I don't really feel like I belong in a bar setting. I it's just not my scene, but yeah, I want to meet other lesbians. So I have to get kind of creative there. Yeah. And that too, in itself, it's like everything always seems to be around a bar or drinking or this like notion. It's not like, Oh, let's go on a nature hike or, Oh, let's, I don't know, do like a beach barbecue. I mean, and I know I interviewed Robin Exon of the her app and she's actually trying to create these meetups, which are actually really cool. Like she did, in London, they had like this camping one. And I know in New York, I think she was trying to do a beach one over the summer. So kind of like like-minded women in the LGBT space, but also like taking it outside the bar, which I think is something that's important, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's great. And, and Robin's a friend of mine. And I think it's great that she does those things. There's also meetup, which I've, there's lesbian meetups, but I'm just, I've never gone to them because I have this fear that they're going to be super lame or kind of a meat market or just. A <laughs> you sound like me. I'm like you sound just yeah. like me. Yeah. So I've never gone to them, and that's on me and getting stepping out of my comfort zone and not worrying about the fact that it might be lame because so what? Some events you go to are great, some are lame. So that's another option. That's not necessarily a bar setting. I just haven't actually take, done that option. Yeah, and there's like there's some like weird risk factor involved with it too. I don't know, maybe it's just like an insecurity of mine. It's just like I don't know, like or like what they're gonna be like, or if it's gonna be too clicky. Or it's like I have all these assumptions about the thing before I even go to it. But sometimes it's also nice knowing, like, say you have a friend that's been to it, and they're like, oh yeah, the people there are really cool. Like I feel like that's more reassuring versus kind of just like, oh, I'm just gonna check out this random meetup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And going with a friend. But what if you're new to town and you don't have that friend yet? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, I, and and that's the thing, like, 
I don't know. I don't know if this happens to you, but I find that it's like this weird line too sometimes. Sometimes I really just want to be your friend. Everyone thinks you have an ulterior motive. And I'm like, no, but like, I really just don't have a circle of friends. And I want to meet more people that like, not just like think like me, but like have similar interests than me or just like are, you know, passionate about LGBT things and that like care about the community and that are like just doing meaningful things versus like kind of, yeah. You want to find connections. That's human nature. I I firmly believe that's why we are put on this earth is to connect with other human beings. And it's not about finding people who think the same as you, but it's about finding people who you can form a bond with. And a big part of how we form bonds has to do with our sexual orientation. That's a huge part of our background, our experiences, of our happiness and love and lust. And it's just so important to have that. So when did you actually come out? Well... I guess I came out in two phases. So first off, I've known I was gay since I was five. When I was like in kindergarten, I had a crush on this first grade girl, Hilda de la Pena. Get <laughs> Hilda. She was my first crush. And unfortunately, she didn't feel the same way back, but it's okay. I've gotten over it. <laughs> I moved back. So, but I was in the closet until I was... 19, which was the end of my freshman year of college. I had, I was, I had just moved to Austin that year and I felt more comfortable outside of El Paso, which is conservative, but also I had a group of friends for many, many years and acquaintances for many years in El Paso. And if I suddenly came out to them, it would have felt like I was lying to them the whole time. And it would have been very awkward. So it's a little bit easier coming out amongst a new group of people who all had only known me for nine months during the school year. So I started coming out to friends when I was 19, but then it took me another four years before I came out to my family. And that was when I was around 23 that I came out to them and I've been totally out ever since. And I'm 28 now. And now were you always out in the workplace? Yes and no. At Google, yes, because I immediately started getting involved with the Gaglers and I spearhead a lot of our women Gagler events and partnerships and sponsorships. And so I'm just like I am. Everyone knows I'm gay at work. I'm so gay, (laughs) which is awesome. I never have to deal with coworkers asking me about my boyfriend or my husband. Isn't that great? It's great. Yeah. Like, and it, it's just a bonus of all this LGBT work I do with the Gaglers because everyone knows my name and I'm always talking about it and I'm going on trips for it and I'm traveling for it. But before Google, I worked at a small consulting firm that was based in St. Louis, Missouri. And I didn't hide anything because at that point I'd already been out for several years to everybody but my family. But they just assumed that I was straight because they never asked me. It never mm-hmm. came up a conversation. It, in all outward appearances, I appeared to be a straight girl, a straight woman. And they would ask me about my boyfriend every once in a while because we would be on traveling projects because we were consultants. We'd be at dinner together. You'd be together 24-7 with your coworkers. And so at dinner, you naturally start delving yeah. into personal subjects, not just professional anymore. And whenever they'd ask if I have a boyfriend, that's when I would say, no, I'm gay. But I would only come out to them when they asked. And and I was kind of tired of them always asking. So this one annual trip with that company and the theme of the trip was Mission Impossible. And as an icebreaker, there was about 100 of us at the company at that time, small company. Uh, The icebreaker was tell us all about a mission that you accomplished that you're proud of. And that was the year I'd come out to my family. And so I stood up in front of all of my coworkers, many of them quite conservative. This is this is a conservative company based in St. Louis, in Missouri, a conservative state. And I told them that the mission I was most proud of accomplishing was coming out to my family. And 
it was very scary to stand up in front of a hundred people and say that. But afterwards, several of my coworkers came up and congratulated me and said how powerful that it was that I shared a story. And then a few weeks later, I went to dinner with one of my project teammates and she asked me about my boyfriend. So not everyone. Oh my God. No. (laughs) Yes. But except for her, I think most people got the point at that, at that, that time. Yeah. I mean, it's this interesting thing. I, and it's funny because our stories are very similar in that way, because essentially I had to travel a lot for work as well. And I'm like, you know, I mean, at that time I didn't care anymore. I was like, no, I have a girlfriend. But the first assumption of everyone, no matter what, oh, like, why are you single? Why don't you have a boyfriend? It's always about like the typical of like what people want to assume. And it's like, I guess because I am gay that I don't think about things that black and white. I think that anyone could be with anyone, you know, like I'm not like walking around assuming this person dates this type of person, et cetera. But it is unfortunate, and I think that it's something that, in time, I do hope that it becomes more normalized, but in the same way, I don't want it to still value, like, how much us as LGBT people fight for things and how much we've, like, earned, right? And I agree. I think in the future, it will be normalized. We're just not there yet, because, yes, 10% of the population is gay, speaking statistically, but... Not 100% of those people are out of the closet because it's always been a stigma and a taboo. And as each day goes on, it's less of a stigma, less of a taboo. More people are coming out. And beyond that 10% of the population that's gay, there's many more percent of the population that's bisexual, that's on the spectrum, that's open to their sexuality and open to talking about it. And as those people are more and more comfortable to step forward, then I do also hope that less people assume everyone is straight. Exactly. And it's so funny. I mean, you came out in front of a hundred people and like, like maybe she wasn't there that night. I don't know, but it's, it's a funny thing because I don't think most people realize how many times we have to come out. Yeah. I was just going to say, you asked me when I came out and there are, in my mind, the big coming out, there's two answers that my, my family and my friends, but I also come out almost every day. I would say at least twice a week I come out. Yeah. And like people, you know, some, some people are very forward with their questions and then it forces me to come out to them or I forces me to lie to them because I just don't feel like coming out to that person because I don't know them and they don't deserve that because they've asked me this very personal question out of nowhere. So it's, it's a tough uh, set of options. I guess what's frustrating about it is I don't know if they realize that. Like, I don't, I don't know if they actually realize, like, how many times we get asked or are assumed or how many times you have to kind of restate this. And, like, it's not like opening a wound every time you do it because I think it's empowering every time I do it as well. But it's also something that, like, I don't need someone to look at me like they've seen a ghost when I say it. Like, oh, or this, like, long extended, like, oh, that's great. You know, it, it's this, like, kind of awkward place to be put in sometimes. Yeah, and it's sometimes it's empowering because they're like, oh, awesome, good for you. Sometimes it's empowering because they're like, oh, cool, and they don't care at all, and it's not even interesting to them, which shows us how advanced our civilization is becoming. But then sometimes it's – so the people pleaser in me, if I know I'm talking to somebody who's more traditional, more conservative, potentially homophobic, and they force me into this position where I either lie or I come out to them, the people pleaser in me doesn't want – them to dislike me because I'm gay. And so I feel, I don't know exactly what I feel, but I, 
I feel almost bad coming out to them, which I shouldn't. I obviously shouldn't feel bad, but I that's just the people pleaser part of me. And, and that's tough too. Like, what do I do with that type of person? Do I just go along with like, no, I don't have a boyfriend. Why not? Oh, I don't know. I just don't. Especially if it's like, if you're, it's like you're explaining something over and over again to someone that doesn't get it. It's just like you're banging your head up against the wall. You know, it's like you could only express so much or, you know, we could only educate and explain things so much until people just open their minds a little bit more or open their eyes a little bit more. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like, I don't, when people are like, I just don't get it. I'm like, I don't know how you can't get it. At this, at this point in time, I don't understand. It's just something that I struggle with, how people can't understand how you can just feel a certain way for a human being. And then that brings me to the whole can, opening the can of worms of why there are homophobic people out there that want to push forth an agenda of anti-LGBT initiatives. Why do they care? Right. Why they want to spend so much time, effort, and money on an initiative, on lobbying an initiative that has nothing to do with them. I like selfishly, I would never want to do that. Like if I, like if I, yeah, I just, I wouldn't want to spend a ton of time lobbying for something that doesn't affect me at all. I don't know why they do. Well, exactly. It's like, it's, (laughs) it's like I would be lobbying for something I'm passionate about and I care about. Like I, I wouldn't be on an agenda for something that doesn't, if it's not affecting me or harming me in any way, what, like, why would I be running around running my mouth? Like, and, and that's, again, that's something that I will never understand. Like, I could probably have someone tell me why they think that way, but I don't think it will be something I could ever be accepting of, ever. Like, what if there are a bunch of people out there that really passionately just, like, love chocolate? And I think chocolate's disgusting. I don't like chocolate. I don't want anything to do with it. And I don't want to eat it. Am I going to spend 10 hours of my week and maybe like $100 a week printing posters or in media ads, putting up chocolate's evil, don't eat chocolate, you should never eat chocolate. Then let's say I eradicate all chocolate from the world. How does that even impact me? Because I wasn't eating chocolate before because I didn't like it. And, and then I've spent half my life and half my budget lobbying anti-chocolate so now it's gone so therefore I don't have it in my life but I never had it in my life what's the point yeah I mean we're on the same page here I just again it's just something that like these people put so much energy into something that they hate so much it just makes you like question do they really or is there something that they're not telling us right um most hatred comes from a place of fear so they have some, or, or projection. So they're projecting something. There's some kind of fear that they have about themselves that they're projecting onto society. Yeah. Again, it's like we could only just keep moving forward and keep sort of like fighting, uh, fighting against it, right? It's just like we're still people. We should be valued just as much as anyone else. Like we shouldn't be this like segregated group. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing at Google and – kind of how you started all these like programs and running them there? Yeah, sure. So again, when I started Google, I I was just stoked to be working at such a large company that I knew valued diversity that had a big LGBT employee resource group. I, I was just stoked to have that level of support from a company that I worked for. 
And so I immediately tried to set up to meet as many gigglers as I could and get involved. I knew I wanted to get involved. I didn't quite know how. And as I started going to more gaggler events, more uh, Apple or Facebook or other Silicon Valley company tech event, tech LGBT events, I looked around the room and it was all gay, yes, because it was an LGBT event, but it was all, it was 90 or 95% male. And so if you go to a non-LGBT tech event, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's mostly straight. Now you go to LGBT one and it's mostly gay men. Correct. So I quickly narrowed in on working within the gaggler woman versus just the gaglers in general. And so once I narrowed in on that, I wanted the subject of my work to be lesbians or queer women. I then met Leanne Pittsford, who's the founder of lesbian to tech. And I saw the work they were doing and their main goal was to help LGBT women specifically, uh, so queer women specifically, connect with one another and form these bonds and connections and relationships, both professionally and personally. And that was something I could get behind. So I wanted Google to partner with Lesbian to Tech to help support Lesbian to Tech's first ever summit in San Francisco. The idea of the summit is to get a thousand lesbians in the same room together. <laughs> An idea I could definitely get behind. <laughs> So I I set to work to get partnerships at Google, which is not an easy feat. I mean, Google's a huge company and there's money, but where is the money? Like no one really knows. So I just started reaching out to execs who I heard were allies or sympathetic to the LGBT cause or gay um, LGBT themselves. And I went through that channel quite a few times, um, different fund writing and meetings and pitches and proposals. And I've done that every year since 2013 and Google has been one of the primary partners for Lesbian to Tech and the Lesbian to Tech Summit since the first summit ever, which was in 2014. Um, and we've hosted three SF summits, um, one New York summit, one in Berlin and one in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and one in Tel Aviv, Israel. So most of what I do is working with Google execs to partner with Lesbian to Tech and in that regard, but I also do some work with Google and the general LGBT community. So working on our pride committees and float and social events with the gaglers to have, to have gaglers bond and connect with one another and, and find that room full of like-minded people within the same company, because it's a large company and there's tons of gay people, but you don't really know who they are without somebody hosting those events. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. I, now, this is just something that you do in addition to your quote-unquote day job at Google, right? This is in addition to that. Correct, yeah. So my day job is I'm a sales rep in our Google Cloud division. It has absolutely zero to do with the LGBT community. In fact, I sell to the South, so. Oh, anything, boy. <laughs> yeah. It's like the opposite of that. Like I go into my meetings with like heels and pencil skirts because I'm trying to win their business here. Yeah. And I think something that's interesting overall about a lot of people that I interview is that we're all doing something in addition to our career. Whether we have a career in LGBT or not, I mean, some people do, but even if you don't, we're doing something to support the LGBT community, which I think is incredible because these endeavors could be full-time jobs that people take on. It really could be. And, and I do it 
entirely because I'm so passionate about it and I get sense of a large sense of personal fulfillment from doing it. Even though some I've had different managers Google, some support it more than others. Some feels feel that it takes away from my core role. They all understand the importance of it, though, in contributing to Google's diversity and inclusion uh, objectives. But yeah, I mean, I, I would love for this to be my full time role, but it's not, and it's not going to stop me from doing it because I love doing it, and I think it's important. Absolutely, and we're like almost like quote unquote name dropping right on this episode. But it's funny how many people just within our community have helped one another. And I think that's so important that, you know, when I was at Lesbian Suit Tech, I was like, wow, there are a bunch of people very similar to me and have a similar mission in mind that actually care and that actually are going to like spread the word. And I think that's so important because I think that's something that's missing a lot of the time. So it's great to sort of have to have found that. Yeah. So one of my other questions I have, did you ever think that you'd kind of end up doing this type of stuff with the LGBT? Like, I know I didn't. I know I wasn't sitting around like when I was in high school or college being like, oh yeah, I'm totally going to be involved in the LGBT community. When when did it kind of start happening for you? In high school, definitely not. I was so far in the closet. In college, not, not at all because I just come out of the closet and I was, I wasn't comfortable enough with myself to lead anybody within the LGBT community. But I've always been, had this natural inclination to lead, or maybe I'm a control freak, one of the <laughs> two. But I tend to organize things, organize trips, lead. I, I've never been good at being, quote unquote, a backseat driver. I just like to drive the car. I like to lead. So once I became very comfortable in my own skin as a lesbian, as a gay woman, and once I established that I did want to have more gay women around me to form that community, it was natural for me to then start leading programs and initiatives within the community because that's just who I am. So in high school, definitely not. In college, also no, because I wasn't comfortable. But once I started working full time, I, I think I could read the writing on the wall at that point that this would probably be something I'd get involved with. So with that said, where do you see the... LGBT community in the future? Like we alluded to earlier in the conversation, I hope that the community reaches a point in the future where it is very normalized and being gay is not even something we talk about. We don't even need to have these podcasts because nobody feels like they have to be in the closet. Uh, We don't have to have these types of discussions and talks and LGBT tech events versus just tech events because we're all one in the same. It is no issue. It's no problem. Everyone is able to feel comfortable in their skin. And I don't think that that's going to happen in the near future, unfortunately. I think we're still going to have to have protests. We're going to have to fight for our rights. We're going to have to fight to have basic human constitutional rights. But I really, really hope that 50 years in the future, maybe 100 years, it's no longer a top talking point. It's not even a thing anymore. I, I want us to get that in to that point with so many other regards too, uh, with racial tensions, with with a homophobic society. I mean, it, it's possible. Like you look at, like think about where 
Europe was less than 100 years ago during World War II. And think about how they wanted to eradicate an entire type of people, an entire Jewish religion, all of those people. And now, is there some anti-Semitism out there? I'm sure there is. But it's, well, I want to say it's very minor. To me, it's very minor. I'm Jewish. And I've never sensed, I've never seen anything anti-Semitic. I want to get to that point with everything else that we have going on today, the LGBT community, racial tensions, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it's like if we could all just get along, right? I mean, it's this funny thing. It's like, I don't know. I, it's going to be work, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful, but it's just, I think the more awareness and the more sort of day-to-day understanding of this to the outside world that doesn't get it the way that we do can only help it. But it's just like, you know, how much is it going to take? Right. And like, we are all human beings. Like we should all be treating each other equally, but we're not. Sometimes, sometimes I think we're there because I don't see any of this. And that's because of where I live, San Francisco. I'm in a bubble it's because of the people I've surrounded myself with are open-minded, tolerant, liberal-minded, warm, welcoming, accepting people. And so I've never like, – I am so many minorities. I am a woman. I am Jewish. <laughs> I am gay. And I have never had a bad experience with any of those three, which is shocking. And so to me, I feel like we're there. But then I see someone like Donald Trump and Pence – get elected to office, even though they're so anti-basic human rights. And I think to myself, well, God, maybe we're way further back than I thought. There's, I just, it just blows my mind. Like, obviously I'm in a bubble and, and we're not there. We're not even close to there. So I have like two sides of the coin where part of me thinks we're there and part of me thinks, well, we're ages away. And I just hope that the former wins out and that we get there sooner than, than ages away. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, I think this election has thrown many of us into just, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know the best words to describe it. Confusion, you know, frustration, just like lack of understanding and wanting to understand, but also not wanting to understand. Right. It's like, I just want to be able to walk on the street and feel safe. And I want to be able to interact with other people and not, like, fear that there's so much hatred, right? And not be, like, this group of people that's, like, targeted against or, like, called attention upon. Like, we don't need additional attention drawn on us in negative ways. Sorry to to interrupt. It's so interesting that you said that, this fear and wanting to walk on the street without fear of needing to defend yourself. Uh, I have a friend who's very politically involved and has always been a supporter of Obama and Clinton. And a couple of days ago, so my background is in martial arts. I've been doing it since I was a kid. And a couple of days ago, she texted me. She's actually coming over here in a few minutes. She texted me and said, hey, can you teach me self-defense? And I was like, absolutely. Like Krav Maga, Taekwondo, boxing, jiu-jitsu. Like, what do you want to know? And then, and then we talked about that for a bit. And then I said, why the sudden interest? And my first thought was that the sudden interest is after Trump and Pence won the ticket or won the seat that she is fearing for her safety as an LGBT individual. And she said she would explain it to me when 
when she saw me in person, so I still don't know. Oh my God, you're going to leave us in suspense? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's she's coming over in five minutes here, so I can I can get back to you very shortly. Yes, you'll have to fill me in on what she said. Well, with that said, thank you so much for coming on the show, Tracy. It was great. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Where can our l- listeners reach you if they want to learn more about you or get in touch with you? Absolutely. So I have a blog that I write, and it's tracymichelle.wordpress.com, T R. A-C-E-Y-M-I-C-H-E-L-E dot wordpress.com or you can look up my Twitter handle, which is T-Cappers, T-K-A-P-P-E-R-S, which also has a link to my blog. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you again so much for tuning in. You can find us at nakedandinsideout.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. We're on social on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. And feel free to email me with any um, questions, comments, concerns, opinions at hello at nakedandinsideout.com. Thanks again. Until next time.